0: Hello, everyone, and welcome. Today, we are going to be talking about the kind of technical infrastructure required to manage latency for multiplayer PVP games. Now, to speak to these issues, we have two superstars. First, we have Zach Blitz, head of infrastructure and live ops at one of my favorite game companies of all time, Riot Games, and Glenn Fiedler, founder and CEO of Network Next, and considered to be one of the world's best netcode guys, right? Right, Glenn?
1: it's more bit my mustache these
0: days just to set the stage kind of one of the things that we've been seeing increasingly has been the rise of more social and multiplayer and pvp games and i thought we could start with thoughts about the current state of technical infrastructure for truly competitive pvp multiplayer games and in particular we could start with, you know, how difficult is a challenge to ramp up an infrastructure for competitive PvP, and what are some of the key variables that increase or decrease the difficulty of this problem? And maybe we could start with you, Zach. Yeah, yeah, it's it's, you know, it's it's interesting, especially with cloud
2: plural proliferation, if you have a knowledgeable distributed systems engineer, DevOps person, architect, the design and scale up and ongoing maintenance uh, at a smaller studio isn't super heavy as long as you go with the cloud. Uh, I I would not suggest going into the data center business unless you have extremely deep pockets uh, or you need to go where the cloud uh, is not. Uh, but most of the problems that you're going to face Our business or product or game design problems. Um, and, and there's generally two main considerations when ramping infra. The first is the experience you want players to have. And that usually means competitive integrity, uh, which, which is that everyone has a level playing field. And what makes things complex there is how you define a level playing field. For Valorant, we, we defined it as uh, sub 50 milliseconds globally to eliminate peekers advantage. And that made life extremely difficult for us because of the second game consideration, which is where your players are. And at Riot, we serve a a global ecosystem of players. Um, Let's look at Europe for a second. Europe is generally easier easier to ship latency-sensitive games to because it's physically smaller. Population centers are reasonably close together, and it has a pretty robust cloud and metal presence. The United States, by comparison, is enormous physically, and population centers are spread way out. Um, And to simplify the Valorant problem, if your data center is in Chicago, you have a player in Akron, and a player in Miami, is the playing field truly level? Um, Do you introduce latency for the person in Akron? Like We would never do that, uh, just just, uh, from a values perspective. so do you account for that with matchmaking, or do you spend more money so on infra in Atlanta so that uh, players can play fairly? Uh, and we we certainly chose the latter. Um, but now you start to see how, especially in the United States, launching a PvP game is expensive and really difficult. Uh, but the problems are more business product game related uh, than they are. Technological. Um, and I'll, I'll give one more example and, and uh, you know, Glenn, feel free to riff. Like we've we've been pretty public about an MMO, uh, and that introduces a whole new set of challenges for us. Like, imagine for a second, two people about to fight an open world game with no signal to our infrastructure that it's about to happen. We've never done a sessionless competitive experience. How does PvP combat work when we don't know the location of the participants that are about to fight? How do we make that fair do we just let one person get wrecked because they're in boise idaho versus like terra hot indiana um and and i think the answer to that would certainly be no
0: but these are some of the considerations and challenges that i
2: think make it make it pretty complex
0: right and zach before going on to glenn could you also for the audience that's not familiar with peeker's advantage could you uh go into what what that is and what impact that has on gameplay yeah, sure. So the classic SPS challenge is something
2: called Peaker's Advantage. Um, and it, it, you know, games like Counter-Strike and, and its predecessors, I think, had a lot of it. And um, basically, it's when when a player peeks or looks around a corner first, um, because of the way the Internet works, they will see their opponent before the person who is standing there um, see, sees them or the... Uh, so. What Valorant's thesis really was is if we eliminate peeker's advantage to the best of our ability globally, uh, that players will really, really want to play a, a game where that is true. And for the right. most part, we've done it, you know. Um, but it's 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 very difficult.
0: Okay. Glenn,
1: hey, cool. So let me give a like a maybe a completely different point of view. So. <laughs> Um, I'm, I'm a little bit unique in that I straddle both the business and the design and the engineering side, and I can maybe, maybe give a holistic view and also maybe skewed more towards people who um, don't, don't necessarily have the resources of Riot Direct, um, which is a massive advantage for Riot, and I, I fully acknowledge it. So um, the first thing I'd really like to say is, look, the number one thing is, is your game fun? That's it. Is the design compelling? Will people stay around? Will they have high engagement? And, and will they not churn out? That's absolutely number one. And if you don't do that, nothing else matters. You must have a fun game. The, and then after that, here's maybe the next most important thing. And I'll think within the realm of what we're talking about, it's it's intelligent selection of where you host servers. And trust me, you will distribute servers in the United States across... Uh, Seattle, Los Angeles, Chicago. You will go to New York. You will go to probably Virginia and Miami. Um, you'll definitely go to Sao Paulo, Brazil. Um, in the United States, you'll def- in, in Europe, you'll definitely be thinking about UK, Amsterdam, Frankfurt um, at minimum. Um, Middle East is a little tricky. South America outside of Sao Paulo is definitely a little bit tricky. Uh, and then you go to APAC and holy cow, everybody, get your servers in Singapore. Right? because Singapore is a big deal for APAC region, especially for Western Australia, right? And Eastern Australia, Sydney, is a good location itself, but there's something really cool coming up that I'm very excited about is, in addition to Singapore being a hub, there's this company called OneCode, one QODE, and they're actually setting up regional server hosting in Guam, which used to be an internet exchange. And that is central, latency-wise, to, to a lot of countries, including Australia, Japan, China, et cetera, right? So the general trend here is, is that you want to try to find servers that kind of satisfy like a, like a gravity sink, people around them regionally, and then you want to try to subdivide that when you find that latency isn't good enough and, hey, mainland China is even trickier because you can't host servers in there unless you have a game license, Right, so there's there's a lot of regional complexities in the Middle East infrastructure. Oh boy, right, um, through, you know, it, through politics or um, geopolitical situation, um, there's not necessarily a lot of great connectivity between countries in that region. And sometimes the routes, by default, that they get to servers, even in their own region, they see people in Dubai going to Frankfurt on the way to Dubai. So, so that's that's what's called a hairpin. So, so what do we got? Fun game absolutely number one geographically the distributed servers and i literally just told the locations that you'll make right and then the next thing is matchmaking how are you making sure that people are playing together and and alluding to your point i personally think everyone under 50 milliseconds is having a great time and i think at a pinch you could say less than 100 milliseconds is 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 essential um but uh you, you know it's it's like uh it's, it's essentially, look, what's the latency above which where you're feeling that your players are not having a good experience, and you can look at the data. You can look at the data and you can back it up and you look at retention and engagement codes, and you can actually look at the point where people churn out because they're having a bad experience. So and
0: right.
1: matchmaking is the first thing to rule out. So it's fun game, excellent server locations, really excellent matchmaking that's trading off skill versus the time to find a match versus distance or latency. And then only after all of that is solved, you can get really strong benefits from Riot Direct or a competing product. Well, not really competing per se, um, very different. But if you're not Riot, there's an advantage that you're missing because Riot has something that you don't have. Riot has the ability to say the internet route is terrible for no fault of the player and no fault of the server, and to say take our private internet that we've built five, five or six years of, of work on this, tens of millions of dollars every year. I would say I'm closer, people.
2: closer to t- yeah, closer to ten, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: This is, this is,
1: this is yeah. not something that uh, I'm going to open. Even a small AAA studio, I'm not going to start by building this. Yeah, right? I mean, it's it, a big it, investment it, for you guys. Agree, and
2: and honestly, financially, it was was kind of crazy to build that initially because nobody did that, um, and we were just so frustrated playing you know games that we all loved where the internet wasn't optimized for gaming. So we we built it in house, which I don't think a lot of studios even I don't I don't know if Riot today would have made the same decision uh, to go build it. Um, that said, though, I do think cloud proliferation is different today than it was then. like you can stand up some sort of AWS presence or GCP or Azure presence in almost every spot that you just listed where, uh, 10 years ago when we built that we couldn't. Right. And that's, that's also part of the reason why uh, yeah. we built that. So, I mean, it, I, I think Glenn and I, I think, are largely saying the same thing. It's like what experience do you want players to have, and like where are your mm-hmm. players, and um, you know those population centers. Put your servers there, and you can generally get to a to a good spot uh, in terms of latency and fairness.
1: Right. Yeah. I, I've actually got an, a, an additional point I could make to, to back this up. Actually, there's some data I can share, and this is okay. from a game launch in 2021. Yeah. Um On bare metal in these very locations, we found that. 83% of players on the public internet, even to the best bare metal and cloud data centers in 2021, yeah. have high latency defined as greater than 50 milliseconds or a packet loss greater than 1% at some point every week. So, so I, would, I would sort of step up and say, it's really great that the cloud offerings are better. It's really great that you can open up servers and you don't have to build your own data centers necessarily. But there's something afoot still, which is the BGP, the default internet routing protocol. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Man, there's a perverse incentive out there. They yes. take the cheapest route, not the best one for your players. And that's why, honestly, I think every game needs something like Riot Direct because that's what fixes that. Right, yeah. it's
2: it's interesting because there's a bunch of businesses that have tried to open up in that space and they just haven't generally found traction. I don't know if that's because they're aimed at AAA studios as as opposed to the little guy, but uh, it's it's been, yeah, it's it, it's interesting to have watched that space. I think over the last few years, it's I I would say too that. You know the question on, on like, what's wrong with uh, what's wrong with networking?
1: I think that's that's a really good question. That's a long, yeah, <laughs> I, know, um, I know, I know. I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll settle. I'll settle with this statement: um, the public internet treats your gaming the same as someone reading their email, and that's why eighty-three percent of people every week get high latency or packet loss, and we have hard data tying that same threshold of latency and packet loss to three times reduced engagement and three times increased churn. So I think there's an opportunity out there for people making games when they have a fun game, when they've selected good regions for server hosting, and when they're comfortable that their matchmaking is doing the best job and they've tuned it specific to their game design. There is, as a number four, and it's not number one, right? But as a number four, there's definitely benefit to, okay, but there's like 1% of my players at any time are getting, maybe even two to 5%, depending on your game, are getting an experience correlated with three times lower engagement and three times higher churn, fix that. And if someone comes along and offers something that's cost effective, that fixes that, I think that's a winner. Game buyers are not going to go and build right. There's not going to be 50 right directs for every, yeah. it's not going to happen, Right. But there's an opportunity for something that's really cost-effective that targets, honestly, like price-sensitive game developers making money off a live-service product. This is something right. that has to be turnkey and reasonably priced. And that, that's what I'm trying to create with Network Next.
0: Got it. So maybe we could talk about that topic around like the smaller developer is it realistic for a small developer? So I'm with a small developer, and when it comes to trying to develop a game that is, let's say, sub 50 milliseconds or sub 100 milliseconds, how should we be thinking about trying to create a competitive game? Is the kind of infrastructure, because we don't have things like Riot Direct and all the resources of a big company like Riot, what, how should we be thinking about developing our infrastructure? Uh, what do you guys think?
1: Can I take this one initially, and I'll, I'll kick it to you, Zach? Um, there's an amazing amount of really good stuff out there in, in Google Cloud, AWS, and Azure. And as a small indie studio, focus on making the game fun. Right. Focus on making the game fun, play tested, and hosted in Google Cloud. The premium tier networking for Google is actually really, really good. It, 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 we, we find it to be the best out of the three clouds. And uh, you, you don't need to go to bare metal to be a serious game. You can get really good performance out of cloud. And the network performance of the cloud is actually in general superior to the bare metal performance that you'll get by default with, with the medium to your hosting company. So I would suggest if you're sub 10K CCU, just, just get it into a cloud, pay the transit fee, pay the cents per gig, which is higher than you'd like. And know that you're getting better than default internet networking um, in, in a hosting company like Google Cloud. That's my recommendation. Yeah, I, I, I would, the, the interesting thing about
2: the question too is like, for us we're trying to be more industry um, standard. Uh, we we built a lot of custom things to roll out League of Legends, um, but but things that we use that are pretty ubiquitous. I mean, Val Val launched uh, I would say sixty or seventy percent on AWS. Um, and that's compute databases, uh, you know, manage Kubernetes, Route 53, uh, on, you know, we use Terraform, we use Docker, we use Cloudflare, we use New Relic, we use GitHub. I mean, all of these things, right, are are cheap or free, uh, depending on the tier that you're using them at. Um, uh, you know, things things you can't do that we do, like physical data centers. Like I I would probably not do that, um, and all that entails from a management perspective, inclusive of like the software to run it and people—that's a lot. Um, and then RIA direct, obviously, we've we've spoken about that uh, a bit here. Um, but you know, I I would say that like what what Glenn advised—I mean, AWS has has latency sensitive products as well um, that 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 they can help with. Most of the clouds have offerings that that can get you there. And you know, we we manage our our stack using pretty standard tools and and trying to get more standard every day.
0: Right. And then just speaking about the the network infrastructure, I know know it's been steadily improving over the years and we've got things coming, like whether it's Starlink or what Glenn's working on with Network Next, uh, but is there anything in particular that we should be looking out for or anything, any other thing that we can do as whether it's as a small developer or bigger developer to um, address some of the challenges on the network side?
2: I mean, I think the current state of, of the IOSP ecosystem regarding speed and stability, it's like, you know, speed, they generally send traffic the cheapest route for them. Glenn's kind of covered this. It, it hurts yeah. competitive
1: games. Uh, it, it's and- not a technical problem. It's a problem of incentive for a network that has no Correct. incentive other than to treat your, your traffic as if it, the, the, a, a route, they could they could just be like 50% of traffic goes left and 50% goes right. depending on the hash of your ip and your port and the disk you could have from one game to the next plus or minus 50 or 100 milliseconds just because they load balance you down route a instead of route b and to them an additional 50 or 100 milliseconds is okay yeah right this is the internet today everybody
2: and, and I think the the problem that glenn's company is is solving is a real one like I you know i I, I have this theory that in the next five to ten years there's going to be a big split in this country between like the boomers and probably Gen X and younger um yeah. because the boomers Aren't, don't care about this routing thing, right? They get their 50 mm-hmm. to 100 mm-hmm. milliseconds. They can watch you know, whatever videos they want on YouTube or go on Facebook. It really doesn't affect them. Well, but it I've, already,
1: I've already got half a second response time when I press a button anyway. Yeah,
2: so, yeah. but th- there's going to be games that come out or AR or VR experiences. Oh my God. You're going to throw up. You're going to yeah.
1: throw up because, yeah. because of a network glitch yeah. and people and, will be cleaning up puke. And, and we as Internet. a... Lot-
2: yeah. We as a country are not going to be able to participate in those things the same way yeah. as Asian or European countries are because our mm-hmm. internets are slower and our ISPs are not getting less monopolistic. Um, yeah. and, and that's going to create a generational divide in this country um, mm-hmm. and a potential political nightmare if not solved. I hope things like Starlink can bridge the gap, but but I, I think it's going to become an absolute problem problem. Uh, for 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 our country, um, and I think one that people outside of <laughs> working in the internet in,
1: in in video games don't I think really understand. So let me let me sort of step up here. There's there's actually really the Starlink thing leads on to a really interesting sort of like what what is really going on, right? And here, here's what's going on. There's the last mile, and the last mile is your ISP. From they have a data center called a head end, so it's it's a data center somewhere probably one Wilshire or whatever in LA, and this there's points where they and they all connect there and uh bgp is a a thing that kind of works out how it gets from the head end to wherever it's going on the end it's like you're on comcast you're not on comcast's internet you're really only comcast to the nearest head end and then it goes ip and then bgp is going to rat you stupid right it's going to rat you like hey he's checking his email now right she's she's browsing the web no 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 you're playing valorant well, in this case, you guys are taking it from the head end and you're saying, no internet, don't do that. Go on our private network from A to B, okay? And network next is kind of the same thing. Now, we can't currently fix the last mile, but the middle mile from LA to Chicago, man, a lot of stuff can go wrong between, and that's, that's, a, that's, a, it, that's a city to another city. And I can tell you just the perverse incentives, um, the things that I see in the United States and Europe At scale with games we're working with, I mean, I feel like Rutger Hauer here. Like I've seen things you people wouldn't believe, like attack ships on fire. Like this is absolutely crazy out there. Some people just get randomly 300 milliseconds for no good reason. And they're in LA. Right. It's nuts. Sometimes people get an additional 300 milliseconds for four days because a route went down for an ISP and they're writing them around the country the wrong way. And you can't as a game developer call somebody up and say, Hey, Comcast, can you, my game's on fire. Can you, so I totally understand why Riot Direct was created. it, it solves a real problem. And, uh, I don't see the solution for this coming from the network itself. Um, I, I see, um, I see a way with my company, but you know, I, there's no guarantee that we succeed, but the thing that I'm really hoping to solve first is the middle mile so that we can kind of say, look, guys, Hey, Hey, this traffic is actually different. It has different characteristics to reading email. Please treat it differently. And let me create an incentive for you so that you're paid when you do. And that's what I'm trying to do. Now, the last mile stuff, wow. Starlink breaking the last mile monopoly, it's brilliant. It's really smart. It's, it's breaking that fiber optic or uh, DSL last mile. And Starlink is not, you're not going up and then to the game server. You're going, uh, I'm in, I'm in upstate New York right now. I have Starlink and I use it as a backup. I go up to Starlink and then I go down to NYC or Secaucus, right? And that's that's the hop that the satellite does. And then the rest is regular wired stuff. Now, eventually Starlink is gonna have um satellite links so I can go up and then go around the world, potentially full speed of light in a vacuum. People don't know this, but you're two thirds speed of light inside a fiber optic cable due to refraction. So even if you've got a direct line of sight from one point to another, theoretically, if the difference between two-thirds and full speed of light is less than the up-down to the satellite with the low-earth orbit satellites, Starlink might get you faster Japan to New York times when you're playing. I'm really excited about that. Um, What do you think, Zach? Yeah,
2: I mean, especially the the implications it has for things like an MMO, um, you know, sessionless games with like, you know, thousands of people in combat scenarios I mean it, it, I mean I just remember playing wow you know 10 years ago and you know <laughs> the instance is basically crashing as soon as as soon as the fight would start because you know of of internet issues or servers being overloaded or whatever um I think I think it it starts to um, I think open up another arms race for what Pvp means uh, which which could be
1: which could be really really exciting. So you, you see higher player counts and uh, more engagement across distance being opened yeah. up by increases in both bandwidth, but also uh, better routing across distance to perhaps a central location. Yeah, I think,
2: I think especially, I, I think a lot, obviously, about our player base when, when mm-hmm. you know, it's just the frame of reference I have. I, I would say most of them are interested in being the best of the world. Or, or to know, or to oh, know that they're among the best in the world at I've whatever they're doing. For
1: this. Yeah, and enough. so people, and, people, yeah. people talk to me all the time about this. They're like, I don't want to play in the little leagues. I don't want yeah. to play in the minor leagues. I want to play in the major league. I want to play. And that's why when when you guys had league and you did everybody in the United States going to Chicago, that was so smart.
2: That yeah, was really I mean,
1: smart. it was, it's a super controversial
2: decision. I think one that, that our pros would tell you, you know, they still, you know, are pretty open about not liking, um, just because the pros are based out of LA. But the reality was that was the fairest, that was the fairest point for everybody. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's what we're, tr- we're trying to, you know, provide competitive global esports um and i think i think things like starlink you know etc provide a more level playing field globally um you know potentially potentially you know getting rid of regions uh which which is something that's, that's been a bit of an albatross for because it's a long totally time. like
1: north america south america apac middle east europe i mean right. it's very much regional right now isn't it Yes, yes, and
2: obviously the language barriers to a certain extent, like do do help to create that. But I mean, you know, in games like Valorant that have pretty specific, uh, sophisticated ping systems in terms of like what what you can uh, signal to players, like you know, I mean, there there are ways for us to play without uh, having to speak the same language. So it's it's interesting.
1: It's, it, do it, it, you it's do certainly... the same central hosting thing for Valorant? do well, you have more locations for servers in Valorant because it is a lot with that peaker's advantage. It is a lot more latency sensitive. I think. I think if we had
2: League to do over again, we would have more server locations than we do. I think. I think the reality is is you know we we and you know but but for Val yes we certainly have highly distributed uh, server locations just based on the nature you know of the game and the way that uh, population centers are distributed. Speed uh, of light. Yeah, all that, you know, all that stuff. (laughs) But yeah, I think, I think, yeah, it's, it's been, and actually I I did a thing for, for uh, reinvent this year on AWS Outpost. That was a critical, uh, you know, thing that helped us, a product that helped us roll out in time, uh, especially because this, the speed of metal in specific locations was vital to uh, launching that game at the millisecond target
1: that we wanted. That's awesome. So you actually you actually found that your your game was so latency sensitive that you had to work with a specific bare metal option with AWS to get the perf you needed. Yeah, it, it so cool. yeah, well it, it
2: was also a supply chain problem. I mean, there's there were a couple things that oh, went with like COVID
1: last year and all that. Exactly. It That's was like tough.
2: who am I betting on? Am I betting on Riot yeah. supply chain to get servers and network yeah. and yeah. And and I and I <laughs> you know, I pay, I opened the checkbook and we paid the money, but you know, it's it's that is that is exactly, you know, that was the calculus, yeah. right? Yeah. goal. So, cool. very smart uh, call. Cool. Yeah. yeah, um, but it, it, it I mean, I think also like the ease of ramping up on that versus having to, you know, install an OS on every box. And, you know, there's there's a lot that goes into spinning up your own infra just from a just from a time perspective, you know, uh, rack and stack, you know, the whole nine. So, um, you know, I'm sure there's vendors out there who are going to listen to this and be like, I got it. I got it in 45 seconds for right. you. But, you know, I think we, we have a very specific skew that we look to order install
0: guys I, I maybe we could talk a little bit more about like you know you guys have been recommending using cloud-based uh, solutions but for some of you know some of these bigger companies still do have on-premise based infrastructure and so when you think about you know what are the if, if we can dive a little bit more deeply into what the advantages are or are, are there advantages of, of still having on-premise based stuff and then you know what does that what does that mean? Or what what specifically does cloud I, give you versus on-prem? I actually don't know any companies
1: that I work with at least who actually manage their own data centers, except uh, perhaps Valve and Riot. And maybe EA. Yeah.
0: I think some of the bigger console so, guys do. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I'll I'll give I'll give I'll give right. a little bit like when I think about cloud providers, right? Yeah. Like for still stability, they're great. If 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 you've written some business logic to fail over gracefully, yeah. um, because they're going to take a node down, you don't expect at some point. Um, like, you know, their business is really stability. So long as you're you're kind of smart about that, and that's their whole right. pitch. It's like we can we can run infra more reliably than you and uh, cheaper than you can. But and I'll tell a story here they don't care about latency at all. And, 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 and I have a story about that. And I'm not going to mention names, um, but in the lead up to Val, we wanted to share some learnings about some of the latency studies we've done and some latency reduction we wanted to do uh, with a cloud provider uh, to make their offering more attractive and to hopefully offload some work from us. Um, and they kind of laughed at us and were like, this work is completely ungeneralizable to the rest of our customer base. Uh, and none of our customers care about latency; they care about stability. Oh. Um, and I oh know, God. I know, I know a couple. I know <laughs> at least you. a couple gaming co- companies that that yeah. are specific to this cloud provider yeah. who absolutely care uh, about latency. Um, but I think latency is largely still a game maker's problem. And so when we talk about the decision on prem versus cloud. In specific areas of the world, right, especially ones that don't have a ton of cloud presence, um, metal or some metal vari- metal hybrid like an outpost really is is your option if you want uh, uh um like to to launch
1: a highly latency sensitive game. Can I give a shout out to some companies that I've worked with with Net- with Network Next? Please. Like we've we've worked with StackPath, ZenLayer, Limelight. Um, we work with GCore around Russia. Uh, one code in APAC and uh, Data DataPacket.com is really really good. Uh, Servers.com 100 TB total server solutions performative. There's a whole bunch of really good bare metal, but here's the challenge: not everybody has, not all of them have all the locations you need. You'll have to have a a, a, a heterogeneous infrastructure where some are in this like G-Core in Russia, really good. Right? Zenlayer, amazing in APAC and Asia, and and obviously all of these are really good everywhere else. Um, and y- y- you know, like there are really good companies that will host servers for you and and have good connect. And then there are some other ones that are really cheap, right? So let me let me sort of take this and like I I've I've worked out like a really weird sort of thing. It's like, man, the cost of servers can be pretty high, even with bare metal. And with cloud, what happens is the, the monthly recurring cost is maybe a little lower, but you do tend to, at the scale of most people, get a little bit whacked by the egress bandwidth from that cloud. They they hit you on a cent per gig on the on the cloud, on the bandwidth going out, which is tricky for games because we're paying a lot, we think, for the CPU. And the egress is usually down to the down to the player is usually more than up. Right. So, so what happens is, is that when you're primarily considering the bare metal and the cloud decision, the simple fact is, look, the bare metal is going to be cheaper because you're not, you, you you can buy that bare metal server and has a certain amount of bandwidth of which you'll certainly stay below built into the price with, with the typical medium and small scale, right? Like hundred thousand peak CCU or roundabouts, very common size. When you're in cloud, um, you you will find that like 4, five, six, eight, 10, 12 cents per gig adds up very quickly. So one way to look at Network Next is you can go and host in really cheap bare metal and only for the 1% of players that get a massive improvement that's relevant for your game design, we can get you the performance of the absolute best servers in the locations where you are.
0: Yeah. Can, maybe, can I ask you guys a potentially controversial question about prem versus cloud. Do you guys think that for some of these bigger console companies that have been running on-prem infrastructure for a long time, that to some degree, do you think it might be a political decision not to move to cloud to retain hmm. jobs and things of that nature? Or is, is it generally just a technology choice? Um,
2: <laughs> that's a good question. I, I, obviously, like, I don't think the – general, the general, like, sales pitch from the cloud provider is always, we're going to save you money. We're going to save you money, we're going to save you time, and we're going to save you a headache, and we're going to save you maintenance. The reality is – and we're, we're in the – you know, full disclosure, we're in the middle of a cloud conversion ourselves, right? The reality is you don't save money. It's about – it's about at cost you don't you don't always save labor because the work changes right and so i think i think the answer to that is probably no i think okay. i think like executives that are you know who sit in my seat at other companies are generally really good at telling the truth about these things which is that look the cloud provider is going to come in and they're going to give us you know potentially millions of dollars of training credits and we're going to try and take all the staff who really only know on-prem and try to convert them into DevOps engineers. And that's in the best interest of both the engineer and and their future career, as well as the companies, um, because mo- most of these people want to retain them, especially if they've been, at, you know, at the company for a long time and have you know good performance and all that stuff. So I don't I don't think it's actually that controversial of a change internally i do think yes there are people who are like look i've done metal my whole career as with any change right in any industry i've done this thing my whole career i don't want to change like i i think there will always be those people but i don't think it's like a political decision i think i think most of the time when they look at it i think it's more you know They don't know where the skeletons are buried and like changing out the physical infrastructure that they have is going to take so long to do. And, and like, they don't know what's going to break when they do it. And, you know, it's been sitting there. I, I, I work with some people from Disney who are like some of the, some of the, some of the rides still run on like floppy disks, you know, like, and and that's true. Like some of the Disney (laughs) park, like rides that you love run on floppy disks. And like the idea that like, they'll ever change that out. Like that. once the ride is gone, they'll they'll change, right? right? But they'll never like they're never gonna like try to figure out what, you know, some dude was thinking twenty years ago who's been, <laughs> you know, gone from the company, like right. was, was was figuring in the initial setup. I think that's usually the main thing that discourages companies from doing it. It's not like a cultural revolution.
0: It's more of a stability issue is what you're saying. hundred percent, yeah.
1: I, I, can add a, I can add an interesting take. And also I can talk a little bit about the, our own decision at Network Next, right? Okay. So let me let me start by saying, look, there's really two things you have to think about. Where are you hosting your backend? And where are host, where are you hosting your game servers? And there actually could be two different places. So, so for Network Next, our backend is written in Golang and runs natively in Google Cloud. And out of my cold, dead hands, right? Cold, dead hands. Like I... I love Google Cloud, um, we use BigQuery, PubSub, and Golang stuff that we do runs native, we don't use Kubernetes or Docker or any bullshit, maybe that's controversial, right? Um, but um, we just run native Golang instances as MIGs on Google Cloud and autoscale, and I tell you what, we are done, we are done, right? And uh, we have a somewhat microservices-based architecture for horizontal scaling, and look, it works great and I would, never, I would never advise to anybody, you should build your own bare metal on-prem for a, for a, for a non-game server component. My recommendation is that when you're hosting your game servers um, and someone else is running the data centers for you and that's their business, you can get really good price performance from bare metal and uh, you know, Network Next can help bridge the, the absolute best connectivity sometimes from cloud, sometimes from other bare metal providers but there's there's a cost decision to be made between the, the cents per gig egress from cloud primarily for game servers versus the bare metal bandwidth cost which is typically much lower so um, but for the love of God run your backend in, in a cloud AWS or Google uh, or Azure I guess um, but uh, man I love Google um, Zach you' you're an AWS guy
2: <laughs> we, we run both AWS and Google Okay. Cool. So, so, yeah, but I, I think, I think. um, But you got to pick one
1: though. I, I, see, I <laughs> now we're getting and, controversial. You're good, now you're going to get me in trouble.
0: <laughs> you're going to get me in trouble with somebody. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah.
1: yeah. Team Google over here. <laughs>
0: um. So, in, in terms of the next topic, I thought we could talk about cost, and basically you know there are some game types that are very expensive with respect to net code server operating costs that can potentially eat up a lot of margin as you're operating these games and so in some situations they can turn some games that you know may have been fairly popular from a user demand perspective but economically unviable, you know, it could just be like games that have very low monetization on a daily basis, but you know, your cost of operating could be higher. Now I've heard that things are getting better where we don't have to be as careful. Like in some, some games in the past, we've even had to limit the number of events that we instrument to like, you know, let's say 10, 15 events per DAO or something like that. And, and, you know, some console games will instrument a thousand events per DAO. So I, wa- I was wondering if you guys could talk about, when you think about cost relative to the, the type of game that you're operating, how do you guys think about cost for, for the games?
2: Yeah, i i can I can go really macro, and I'm I'm sure Glenn Glenn can go a little bit ma- ma- micro. So for us, we always start with our core principles, which is like we want players to have the best experience possible. The game needs to be fair and globally available, uh, and then we optimize cost around that, right? Like okay. very very similar to what Glenn's been saying originally. Like build the fun game, like right. make sure players really like it, and then and then you start to optimize. Um, This is now. This story is from four years ago. Okay, so this is like long before we even started the initial rollout of Valorant. Like when we looked at the the cost modeling, we looked at three global millisecond latency targets, Um, and ultimately we landed on the middle uh, of costs. And the curve was pretty dramatic. the 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 cheapest option was extremely riot friendly. The middle option was extremely player friendly, and the last option was not really achievable from a cost perspective um, or achievable based on on internet in some areas of the world and the amount of effort and we had a few people in on this meme in the office but it was like we just can't build a data center in the center of the Amazon rainforest uh, and that <laughs> players some player would be upset at some point that we that we hadn't done it but, but play it out for a second right like let's say Valorant's margins are great right are they great enough to build a data center in the Amazon rainforest, regardless of your ethics? You'd have to get permits to destroy the rainforest. You'd, you'd have to <laughs> pay for construction. You'd have to run fiber across a good chunk of Brazil. You'd have to cool it in the middle of the jungle. You'd have to buy yeah. servers and import them, hire people to run it, maintain it for years, maybe long after the game is relevant. What's the exit strategy? Do you sell it? Like, How do you consider that? Do we even have staff like currently who, who, who could design this, and then, you,
1: um, and then you have COVID come in too, giving you a nice wrench in uh, the gears. there.
2: Right. your your margin would have been gone in the first ten seconds of what I discussed. Mm. Um, and so, we we spend a ton of Riot's money every year, whether it's in the initial like game design or launch, or in our day to day lives with a game like League. We're constantly thinking about how we help the business save money and give that money back to players in terms of new games, new game modes, new cinematics, new entertainment right. experience, etc. If we save a million. That's a whole new game dev team. Right. Um, and that's a huge win for players. That's generally kind of the way that we think about it. So we spend a lot of time, you know, um, kind of underneath the covers trying to optimize um, optimize for, for players. But that's, that's probably a little different of an
0: answer uh, right. than I think but you were going for. Zach, to, to that point that you just mentioned, though, like yeah. to the point that if you're able to save money that value can accrue back to the players and, and so in, in terms of that concept like whether you're taking some functionality from the server and shifting it to client or things like that what are some right. of the things that you guys think about to try and save save cost so one of the one of the
2: big ones right now is is we're cleaning up from the valorant launch where we we'd split some routes uh, some network routes with with uh, AWS in, in certain parts of the world where they're preferring AWS versus uh, Riot Direct. Obviously, we we have a huge cost advantage if those if that traffic is moved to AWS. Uh, sorry, Riot Direct, because we're already paying for it right in right. bulk and we're paying for it in volume. And so one of the major things right now is we're trying to move that traffic back over to Riot Direct since we're not in launch mode. But that gets tricky because every time we have an event. Um, in 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 Valorant, and you know, there's been a, a couple this summer that have that have done really well in terms of player counts. Uh, those those sorts of things like drive demand. So it's like, well, okay. So when's the right time to actually shift the traffic over? So it's a lot of considerations like that um, because we don't we also don't want players to have a negative experience. Like, hey, we we try to cut this route over to save money in the middle of like an event, and now like you know we we have we have a two hour outage. Like that's that's a an absolute mess for players and something we would never want to incur so though that that's that's something we're, we're doing even right now
1: okay I, I gotta say like look like zach you hit it you hit it right there it's there's there's this really really weird kind of and I, i'm not talking about any specific game especially not riot but like when you look at a lot of sort of the the scarier fans that it's like, you know, devs with their terrible net code and then their broken servers, and, you know, like everything is, and it's, it's, it's like really, it's really not true. Like these are, these are game development teams who are players themselves. They're super passionate about um, the games that they work on. They, I mean, I, I, a good example, Sammy Duke, uh, lead online engineer on Apex Legends. Like that guy engages with fans on Twitter. And I think, I think maybe four out of five times, like there's like, nasty replies. And he's just like, hey guys, I'm helping. How you doing? And what's going on is that devs are not pinching panics. Devs, devs are not buying cheap servers. They're they're not. Like they're they're spending a lot of money on servers and they're putting the players' experience first. Because if the players aren't having fun, they've got nothing. They've got absolutely nothing. But but where it gets really challenging is when people hack games or when people DDoS games um what happens is that it drives costs up for game developers, and they have to spend more money on infrastructure and less more less money on making new items, new game modes, um, new events. And it, it's just a really and cheating as well. Any cheat. I mean, all the effort put into any cheat could could make a billion games, as far as I'm concerned. any a- 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 yeah. cheat is oh, a, it's billion, a, it's a billion.
2: dollar industry. Like <laughs> yeah. both both on the positive and the negative side, it right. is. It is. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's a
1: people have thing. opinions, and that's cool. But, but it's like, the one thing I want to do is that as, as a dev myself, I want to stand up for the devs. It's like, these, these are not people buying shitty cheap servers. These are people investing millions, tens, hundreds of millions to make your game as good as they can. And, and sometimes the internet just isn't giving you the best route. And honestly, it's probably not even the fault of your ISP. It's not, yeah. it's definitely not the fault of the dev. Yeah. And, and I, don't blame the dev, man, far out. The, it's the not hidden- the dev
2: the hidden war here is like the dev versus the internet, right? Like it's, it's, and, and I think a lot of people don't see that. Like we, we had, I think uh, in Latam a couple of weeks ago, like this fiber cut, right. Where it's, you know, in the games down, games down for 12 hours. Luckily that doesn't happen in the United States as frequently probably as it used to. And like, you know, we're, we're getting killed on Twitter. You know, our devs are getting killed on Twitter. Well, it's what's like amazing you know, is that you guys invested in your own
1: dark fiber, for God's sake. Holy yeah, shit. I, you know I how know. much money that is?
2: I know, but they don't – you know, <laughs> but all the player understands is, hey, my – my, you know, I can't play the game that I really and, want to and it's, play. It's, and I got my totally friends together, game. and we were supposed to do this. And I, I, I can empathize with the position, but but to Gwen's
1: point, we, like – We, we always strive to do better, but, like, sometimes the reaction can be a little kind of like – you just got to – okay – Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, so, so. Yeah. Oh, I was just about to ask. So, for like, I, I know at the bigger game studios, they they have full anti cheat teams and things of that nature. For a smaller game studio, how how would you recommend that people address staffing or focus on anti cheat security things like that?
1: You, you should do a client server with a server authoritative networking with UDP. Yeah. Preferably with someone else's engine, and don't worry about it. That's a problem you want to have. Yeah, I would, you, you, I would, need, you need a scale to hit that that okay. you will not get until you've succeeded, and once you've succeeded, go go for an off the shelf solution, and then on massive success, do it right. Yeah, yeah, pay 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 somebody to do it.
0: Got it. Okay.
1: Don't don't worry about DDoS. Don't worry about but but do do the best practices. Don't don't do a client trusted
0: network model in twenty
1: twenty one. In most 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 don't trust client. Most
2: cloud, most cloud providers have some kind of, you know, DDoS solution that for a small dev is totally, like, totally okay.
0: Okay. And final question for me, but when you guys think about, let's say, opening up new game server regions, how do you, how do you guys think about that? Is do you have like minimum CCU requirements or? You know, when when is it time to open up that the Amazon, Zach? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How, how do you how do you guys think about be the that? players?
1: How many players I, are there and what's the improvement that can be provided?
2: Yeah, I think I think that's it. I, I think generally what we see, the way we do it, is we will see people playing our games compl- at, with completely horrible experiences. Like yeah, I, I think the, the reason yeah, the reason we opened up uh, Middle East, which is I think our, our latest one, and I think we're gonna we will go to South Africa at, at some point uh, as well, which we're super excited about. I, I um, didn't mention it
1: because Africa is there's, 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 there's just there's just so little there in terms of infrastructure. And the players, and, I mean, it's almost like there's like a little bit on the top and then a little bit on the bottom. There's, there's, just, there's a massive a open, like there's a blue ocean there in Africa for someone to help improve connectivity. And everyone playing in that, that continent can be massively improved. That's a, that's going to be a huge mobile region
2: once it's uh, yeah. once it's yeah once there's infrastructure there. I I would say that I would say you know for us we were watching players in in uh, the Middle East uh, basically struggle playing Valorant uh, in Europe and we were kind of like this mm-hmm. is unacceptable you know yeah. we we need to we need to put servers uh, in in a place now uh, uh, we now picking locations within
0: you know oh, the nice Middle top. East
2: is super tough because all the countries uh do not play nicely together in terms of the internet exchanges which is really difficult uh and additionally there's no real center like there's not like a yeah. chicago right uh, yeah. and it's big like we talk about we think of the middle east where we we probably think a lot about like israel egypt you know jordan and not necessarily the entire arabian peninsula uh and 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 oh, things man. that go yeah. a little bit east it's 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 incredibly large you know, geographically almost the size of europe so it, like trying to figure out where we put it within um, you know the service within the middle east is 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 really challenging and it's almost as geopolitical as it yeah. is uh, yeah. like necessarily like latency based um, and 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 so a lot of these, you know, to answer your question, Joseph, are are like kind of, you know, region by region uh, thoughts. You kind of you, you lead with like, hey, the, people are going to play the, the game if we put it there, great, we'll put it there. But then, like, how how do we kind of deconstruct it and make it make it really make it a really good experience? And most of these things are a work in progress. I mean, there. I want to extend
1: on Zach's point here. It's like people think that there's a relationship between distance and latency. In all cases, that is not true. Like I'll, I'll give you a very concrete example. Um, uh, I have I have many Korean friends and I have many Japanese friends, and because of this, I know that if you're if you're if you're a United States tourist in, in in Seoul, you're not gonna you're not gonna make comments about how similar Korean culture is to Japanese culture. That is those are two completely distinct and different cultures, although they have some similarities historically. And I can tell you that the, the two countries are actually quite different and also don't always get along. And there's a really horrible shared history that, that the Koreans are, you know, like there's, there's some reasons why the Koreans are not happy um, going back to the Second World War, right? And, and earlier. So is it somewhat surprising that the route between Seoul and Tokyo is not always the fastest one? It's political. Now, no one's out there going, ha ha ha, ha I'll just, no, no, it's, it's just kind of like no one has the incentive. And we see other things like, if you're hosted in Google Cloud and you're trying to go cross cloud to AWS, like you're not always gonna get the fastest route between the two because who really cares about that? In fact, maybe they don't want it. I'm not saying that there's an intention here, but there's sort of like, the internet is 100,000 different ASNs as of 2021. And they don't all like each other or or, to put it more politically, have really strong incentives to ensure that they have the best connectivity between their networks, right? So sometimes the path is a little weird. And then with 100,000 cooks in the kitchen, sometimes somebody in Dubai going to a server in Dubai goes through Frankfurt because that's the closest exchange. We actually have deployments in Middle East, and we're often able to fix all those Middle East to other Middle East regions. Like we have little mini pops in every city and in every city we have 10 or 20 different providers with different connectivity and we can steer through those points as we choose. So, so that's sort of like the magic of what we do. Um, and it really helps in these geopolitical, um, in these sort of geopolitical areas where, you know, Israel and Egypt might not have the best connectivity between each other and certainly not to Iran, Right. And it's no fault of the people of Iran or the people of Egypt or the people of Israel. But, and, and I'm pretty sure that everyone just wants great connectivity as, as people. Um, but um, the internet does not have a straight-line path physically between two points, and nor does it always have the best route picked between two points on the planet. It, it has its own topology, and that's influenced by geopolitics. The geopolitics and often the route is not what you think it should be. So sometimes just putting a data center in the Middle East won't actually get you what you need because now you have all of the political stuff in the Middle East in addition. Like you, you you can deploy a lot of infrastructure to different points in the Middle East but still those different points won't necessarily talk to each other because of geopolitical differences.
0: Okay. Well, guys, I think we're out of time, but I really want to thank both of you for this really in-depth discussion, a lot of incredible information. But in closing, do you guys have any final thoughts or recommendations for the audience? And how can people get in touch with you? Maybe starting with you, Zach?
2: Yeah, sure. Um I don't know. I think I think this is one of the most fun areas of game development today because I do I do think there's a lot of innovation happening in the space. We've talked about Riot Direct, we've talked about DDoS, we've talked about infra. I think um, I think the cloud versus metal debate is going to continue. I think, I think all of these things, especially as metal provider, um, kind of metal colo providers, uh, step up their, their managed service offerings. I think, I think things like that are going to become super cool, uh, over the next 10 years. So just have fun with it, have fun making games. I'm, I'm at riot Z blitz on, on Twitter. Uh, I just started that because people were like, uh, players may want to get in touch with you i have like 50 followers so <laughs> i think like 20 tweets so uh but but i'm there and i'm always happy to answer whatever questions you have um and if i can't answer it uh, I'll, I'll find somebody who who's a pretty good expert who, who can help so but it's been a pleasure joseph thanks for having me on man yeah
0: thanks
1: cool what? hey so anyone who's interested in uh latency, DDoS, server hosting questions. What's it like? I'm launching my game or I've already launched a game. I'm concerned about some of this stuff. What can I do? Even if it's just, you know, like just general advice, what are you seeing with other games? Just reach out to Glenn, two Ns, at networknext.com and and I'll help you out.
0: Awesome. All right, guys. Well, there you have it. Zach Blitz, Glenn Fiedler, two world-class experts. Thank you so much for your time. Until next time, everybody. Bye.